Hello, beautiful people, and thank you once again for clicking on this podcast and this particular episode of Joe Blogs About Films. We are keeping up the trend that I've already spoke about a couple of times, that this October we're going to be diving into some of my favourite Halloween horror films or whatever, just as many spooky films as I possibly can, to go in hand-in-hand with Spooky Season. May try and get a few more like upbeat, family, spooky films. I'm not too sure, if any, what there is of that. But for this particular episode... I want to dive all the way back to 2004 to go over what is easily one of my favourite films and on the back of this what created one of the greatest and most profitable horror franchises to ever grace cinema. I am of course talking about Saw directed by what was then a unknown director by the name of James Wan and his friend Lee Whannell just bringing this film to life in itself on the back of what they did and achieved at film school literally shot in 18 days very limited budget we're talking like 1.2 million or something like that it grossed over a hundred million in its box office and as you can see definitely definitely obviously chained in and, and brought out a number a number of sequels just on the back of how well this first one did pretty much i think that the second film was green lit within the first weekend of this uh, of the original dropping but there was something beautiful about this film in the like i say it's one of those where the sequels as much as i weirdly became a fan of this franchise even borderline obsessive like it's one of those where as much as the sequels went up and down a bit bumpy i'm still an avid fan i'm still a fan that will sit down and will definitely do a saw marathon at any given opportunity that i possibly can do it's kind of perfect time i think the last time i did the marathon was for the for the release of spiral which I have done a number of podcasts already, but I say number. I've done two podcasts on this channel already, so go check those out if you want to hear my thoughts on Spiral. In fact, the first ever podcast episode that I did for Joe Blogs About Films was Spiral, so good lord, I bet that sounds terrible. Uh, this one even still might sound terrible, I don't know, but here we are on this particular episode going over so i'm really excited about this because like i said i've just rewatched it again it never just never ceases to amaze me the ending of this film and the twists and turns and it's just something like i said when you try to go back to when this dropped in 2004 it was something so different that the horror horror genre hadn't seen before there are the people out there that do you know as i've stated before throw out the whole torture porn aspect of it but this for me like especially saw one it's not it's not really a it is a horror but it's more psychological like a more psychological thriller slash horror than it is in your face full-on horror i think that there's a real nice suspense in there you don't really know where the film's going to go the the actual script itself is pretty well polished as i say i think that wanell and one really nurtured and cared for this because it was it was a project they tried to get going from like the early 2000s i think the script itself was completed in 2001 but they just really struggled to get the film greenlit in Australia and then were prompted to head over to LA to try and get it you know, distributed and, and put out and funded, I should say, into, uh, into the cinemas that way, which obviously did work. That happened, and here we are all these years later still talking about Saw. I'm still a fan of Saw, always itching for another kind of... Well, I say an- another instalment, but... I do feel like that they could have, you know, I liked what they were doing with Spiral. I've heard, obviously, as many as many will know, Saw fans out there, there is another Saw film coming out next year, Saw Ten, which I think is going to be more of a uh, more of a direct sequel to the original run, um, you know, following on from from the film Jigsaw and such. But anywho, we're not going to talk about sequels. I solely want to talk about Saw itself, just the first one, the film that pretty much, like I said, just 
I remember being so shocked at what I was witnessing because I was obviously underage when I watched this film. We all have those the moments say when you get around to your friend's house, you put a horror film on that's clearly, obviously, <laughs> you're too young to be watching it, but you do it anyways because that's what you do, isn't it? I mean, this for me, when you think about 2004, I mean, I went to see 5, 6 and 7, saw obviously, um, the original run, that is, at the cinema, but I was underage, so... I'm trying to think how old I was. I must have been about 10 or 11 or something daft like that when Saw 1 came out. But it just, I just couldn't couldn't wrap my head around it. And and to, to be fair to, 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 to James Wan and Lee Whannell, I've followed their work ever since because of this incredible film they put out there that I couldn't, for, like to, to process that twist at the end, to process how these filmmakers had created this film and this story. You know, if I pursue, I've pursued one's work ever since, from Death Sentence to Dead Silence. Obviously, he's done The Conjuring, Fast and Furious. Like, I, I'm not even a Fast and Furious fan, but one directed the seventh. I was like, I will watch it because James Wan did it. Obviously, did Aquaman as well, and and so on, and the Insidious films. And like every time these two get together, obviously Lee Whannell. Obviously, I know he's kind of branching out and doing his own things now as well. You know, even getting his directorial debut doing Insidious three and everything like that. But when they came together to do the Insidious chapter one and chapter two, I was again so excited because I feel like these two are just like just gems, just lovely people that have got a great eye for good cinema, good film, especially in that horror world as well, and the ten- intensity and the suspense and such. Even like I say, you can say the gore as well because Lee Whannell did end up coming back to write Saw three as well, which is does have some pretty gory moments in there, some traps that are pretty gnarly. So yeah. Lee Whannell, James Wan, two of my favourite people in the film industry and anything they do, I'm always like, yep, definitely going to give it a watch. So I hope that again one day they they do collaborate. I'm sure they will. They're very good friends. I'm sure that they will collaborate once again on something and uh, I'm all here for it, like I say. Anyways, before we do deep dive back into Saw, this podcast is available on Apple, Spotify and Google Podcasts as to rss.com. Jump onto Facebook as well and give us a like and a follow. Just search Joe Blogs About Films for the Facebook page. If you're listening to it on Apple, Spotify and Google, all that jazz, whichever it is, as I say, hit the notification button. But also, while you're at it, do leave us a review because that would be lovely. So here we go then. This episode for Halloween specials that I'm going over. There's going to be some more of these, don't you worry. And I am, of course, going to be going over, maybe not in October, but if I do get a chance to, I will definitely look at revisiting more of these more of the Saw films, whether I kind of clunk them together, do two, three, four, five, six, seven onwards. I'm still toying with the idea, but the main thing is that I want to give Saw 1 its own episode because it's beautiful. <laughs> like, as I say, it's, it's, it's not beautiful, obviously, in the sense of, oh yeah, I love watching people hack off limbs and stuff, but I just think that it's just a fantastic, just a unique story that we didn't, we just had not seen anything like it before, let's be honest. And I remember hearing about it, the word of mouth and such going around, the massive posters, like where I lived back at, back at my parents, when I lived back at home, there was this huge billboard on the way uh, into uh, like the local town and such, but the billboard just didn't have didn't have the actual poster, didn't have the famous poster of uh, Shawnee Smith wearing the reverse bear trap or anything. It was just Saw in big red letters, and it was like, dare you see Saw. And obviously it was like, that in itself, like, great marketing. You're already asking yourself, what's so bad about this film that they're daring me to watch? You know, it's a bit like what they did with the Paranormal Activity films, obviously, which ultimately would be one of Saw's Achilles' heels when, when the Paranormal films started to come out. It really dented the Saw franchise and almost, like, pretty much took over the box office for Halloween, but that's another story for another day. But what I'm getting at is that Paranormal Activity used the phrase, um, or used the, the tagline, 
uh, don't see it alone or something along those lines like uh, yeah don't don't go alone to watch it kind of thing but saw yeah dare you see saw and it was that constant thing again like, i think saw two even used we dare you again and stuff like that and then obviously the like i say the the, the thing the thing that that, that that i always look back to with saw one is that it's so different to the to the rest of them arguably saw two is maybe the closest you're going to get to the first saw but like this is an actual like game that we're witnessing Whereas, yes, we do see games and tests and such in the sequels that followed, but they didn't feel like an actual... They, they felt more, like I said, like a test subject that was going around. And he was kind of like... And people were like, kind of like picking and choosing who could live and survive their, the traps they were witnessing, especially in Saw 3 and Saw 4. They did that an awful lot. Um, and even carried that trend on in Saw 6 as well and Saw 7, where, you know, you mean protagonist who's in the center of a game is walking around different rooms and just seeing people in different traps and deciding whether to let them live or die kind of thing it was just very like they, they kind of got that niche of let's do let's people like the traps let's get on board with that and you know we'll really really go run home with it kind of thing whereas i think the first one because it was so different because james one and lee one l wanted to create a story that we, we like i said we'd never seen before in the horror franchise and just these two people waking up in a bathroom you're witnessing the game unfold and the pieces all come together. Like as, as an audience member itself, you yourself feel like you're playing the game of maybe, maybe trying to guess who it is that's doing it all. And let's be honest, I'd be very surprised if anyone ever tells me that when they were watching saw, they could guess who it was that was doing it in the, in the center of the, of, of the actual film itself. But this is it. Like the audience had taken for a ride as well. We're not just kind of like, spoon fed everything it's like we're, we're like it's very david fincher-esque in the way that he does the whole flashback sequences and stuff like that like we get to see how these characters ended up in the place that they are but it was just it was like what they said i think one of the type one of the one of the quotes or reviews I, I remember seeing at the time was saying that it's very like seven it's just it's like it's almost like if you enjoyed seven saw takes it all the way up to eight one of the uh, one of my favorite kind of review quotes there from uh, from 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 two thousand and four about Saw, but I realise I've kind of rambled on an awful lot there and not even gone into the synopsis of the film. So of course, obviously, before I do dive even further into this, there will be spoilers if you've still not seen Saw after all these years and you've never heard of it before. I mean, where have you been? Uh, but yes, make sure you do check out Saw, and if you haven't seen, obviously watch it and come back and listen to this podcast because I will be deep diving into more spoiler territory. So Saw revolves around a surgeon and a nobody who wake up in a derelict bathroom, ankle chained to pipes with a corpse between them. They are the latest victims of Jigsaw, a tricky serial killer who plays gruesome games with his victims, teaching them life lessons through torture. It's pretty much it. And I said that premise itself, obviously, like in this idea of two people in a room together, not knowing how they got there or like how they're even going to get out of it. It's almost like, how is this? How can you flesh that out for 90 minutes or however many minutes this film is, 100 minutes or something like that? But what they do is they make these characters so interesting and the fact that they're linked more so than what they realise when they first come in, when we when they first wake up, I should say, in the bathroom. You know, Carrie Elwes's Dr. Lawrence Gordon and Lee Wanell's Adam. Now, I, I'm just going to double-check on the surname for Adam because there's a back and forth because I think that originally his name was Adam Faulkner and then in Saw 5, there's like some files, and I believe his name is then changed to Adam Stanheit, or it's the other way around. So either way, we're just going to go by Dr. Gordon and Adam or whatever. So anywho, yes. So these two characters are more connected than what they realise, obviously, from, from shady doings, from, you know, discharged police officers that are very, very adamant that Dr. Gordon is the person that he's looking for for these jigsaw killings. You know, Dr. Gordon himself has got some shady stuff going off on the side in the sense that he's... 
I don't know if he does. He's, he's, it looks like he is about to have an affair, or at least it's it's alluded to that he does have an affair or has had an affair with his wife. I mean, he's going to cheat on her, but then he decides not to, and he does scream at one point that he didn't cheat on her. But there's all these mishaps and such, and the fact that Dr. Gordon himself, every day, as Jigsaw says in the tape that he gives him, you know, he wakes up, he wakes up every day, tells people that they're going to die, and just cracks on with it. And then today, he will be the cause of, of death, essentially, because he has to kill the guy that sat straight opposite him in the in the room, that's Adam, um, otherwise, and obviously remove himself from his shackle, otherwise his wife and daughter will die. Adam's game Adam's game uh, for this one is pretty much just saw you foot off and, and leave, I think. It's, he's, he's essentially, say, a, a nobody to air quote that just takes pictures of rich people that go off and about and doing shady business and gets paid for it. In this case, he's been paid off to take photos of Dr. Lawrence Gordon, I, 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 like just to keep tabs on him for Detective Tab. I'm kind of like going here, there and everywhere with that because I'm not really delving into too much about the whole jigsaw shenanigans anyways, but trying to give you a little bit of background, obviously, about why these characters find themselves in this room. So you've got a doctor that is just constantly just living his life as normal, telling people they're going to die, having shady business, and Adam, who is a voyeur to, 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 be, to be exact, and therefore he's watching other people live their lives. It's time to make a change, Adam, pick up the saw, off your pot, mate. Uh, and then obviously within this room, there is a corpse in the centre that's blown its brains out. Uh, we've got a tape recorder and a gun. And this is it. They've just got to wait. They've got to do it by six o'clock. As I say, Dr. Gordon, the, the, the stakes are so high uh, for him because if he doesn't, then his wife and, uh, and daughter will die. And it just kind of flows from there but they, like i said like dr gordon like i i, I have a fun with with carrie elwes because I, I i was one of those fans for for ages wanting to know what happened to his character at the end of so i even was i love this character so much that i actually dressed up as him for halloween once how did i do that do you ask well i bought myself a fake it was like a it was a it was a it was a fake foot that you could buy like uh, from like the halloween store or whatever like just a severed foot uh, and then I, I wore a white shirt, got a shirt, got a blue shirt, covered it in fake blood and just wrapped it around my my right foot. That's how much I loved Saw. It's ridiculous, isn't it, looking back? But still, why not a eh? young and silly? Let's let's just uh, let's just go with that. But what I like about Carrie Elwes in this is that his character, obviously, he's very calm to start with. He's the one that's rationally thinking all the way through. How do we beat this? Almost like maybe not almost wanting to play the game or even believe that this game is real to an extent, because there's times when they're just kind of just chilling and they're just chatting and they're talking about families, this, that, and the other, between, obviously, Dr. Gordon and Adam. But, like, his calmness at the start, obviously, is what obviously gets Adam to kind of come down, because when we first start these characters, you've got Adam that wakes up in the bathtub. He's like, what, where am I? My name is very effing confused, this, that, and the other, when they're talking, he's really at a loss as to where he is and why he's there and such, and... The, the, what I love about this so much is that the characters flip throughout the film. You know, you've got Adam that's, like I say, the one that's really high rate at the start of the film, absolutely wanting to figure out why he's there, even, like I say, screaming at the top of his lungs, help, this and that and the other. By the time it gets towards the end of the film, he's the one that's, like, more weirdly calm, and then Dr. Gordon, understandably, his, uh, yeah, his levels and tension have shot straight up because he's realising that this is life or death now. This is not only my life that's in the balance, but it's my family's as well. And if I don't sort this out, if I don't remove myself from these shackles, they're going to die and then I'm going to be left here to rot, basically, is what Jigsaw says. It's it's complete flipping. I like what they did as well with Dr. Gordon because I do understand as well that when they were filming this, uh, that, that a lot of the lines and such, a lot of towards, that they gave Carrie Elwes a basis of where to go with his script, or his lines, I should say, but there was a lot of improvising involved in there. 
understandably because when 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 you've got someone's emotions that high rate like the, the, you can't necessarily put down on paper just exactly what they're going to be saying or what they're thinking kind of thing so it's nice that they gave that freedom to carry Elwes because you do feel like I said it's one of the things that like in his performance all the way through it's just bubbling all the way through say so they're trapped in this room he's got these decisions to make he's got to kill Adam he's got to remove his foot he's then got to obviously obviously do all of this by six o'clock to stop his wife and daughter being killed it's bubbling, like, you could feel it all the way through, like I say, even when they're kind of back and forth in, when uh, Dr. Gordon realises that Adam's been paid to take photos and to follow him around, you know, he's wanting to know more details of that, and when he's not giving it back, he's there kind of getting a bit more, you know, irrational and stuff, and like, you know, like, effing and jeffing this, that, and the other, it is a say, it's just always there, it just rises too far to the surface at the end, because like, when, just before he got back to saw his foot off, I, I don't know if anyone else thought this, but like, you know, he's trying to reach for the telephone that's ringing, I mean, that's harrowing in itself, when you've got a telephone that, weirdly, I think I, I think it's been noted that it, it, it's only made to receive calls, uh, not, not make them, however, even on a phone that does that, if you were to ring 911 as he does in the film, uh, it would still work. But we'll let them off because it's just a film. But obviously that phone is his only point of contact with Lawrence Gordon's family. You know, obviously they find the phone by doing the whole X marks the spot sequence, which I think is really clever, really genius. Obviously all these clues that Jigsaw does leave within his tape, obviously to, to Gordon and to Adam in particular, though, to, to Gordon. You know, they get this phone. There's a couple of conversations that he has with obviously his wife, Ali, and uh, even Diana at, at times, which is really, really moving and really stress-inducing. And say when you're like kept hostage, with, shackled up to a to a pipe, obviously, adding to the fact, obviously, that when he does eventually get get them on the phone again towards the end of the film, all he can hear, obviously, then at one point is just gunshots and gunfire, and that is obviously going to, um, yeah, really like say give you the worst thoughts possible, worst thoughts imaginable, you know, to him. That's his family being shot to death. Like he doesn't know that Detective David Tapp and 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 so have come in to to try and uh, you know reprimand uh, Zepp and whatever. So yeah, like it's really 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 stressful. Obviously, it builds up, builds up. Then you get the added factor of getting electrocuted as well. It's just what goes to one hundred in in split seconds. You know what I mean? But yes, yeah, so the phone is just out of reach. And I remember when he, when he's screaming and screaming and screaming trying to get it, and he realizes that it's just not it's just not happening. I thought when he was taking his shirt off before he wraps it around his foot to obviously help with the bleeding and, and the blood loss and such that it's going to happen and occur on the back of sawing your foot off. But I thought he was using his shirt to, to, to pull the phone. But I guess that shows you the mindset that he's in. Because, yeah, it's, it's very easy for us, a, a, an audience member, to sit there being like, just 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 use your shirt to grab the phone, mate. Just use your shirt. But he's not he's not thinking logically. He's not thinking rationally at that point. He is literally like, I have to get out of this situation. I have to go save my family. If I have to lose a foot for it, so be it. See you later, right foot. It's been great knowing you. So this is it. It's like I, I really like what they did with Carrie Elwes in this film. I mean, like that that said the ambiguity at the end, or you know, like not knowing whether he has survived or not. I know we had to wait six more films to find out exactly what did happen to him at the end of this, but it was just such a such a an unbelievable and really uh well, I say unbelievable. Very believable performance is what I'm getting. I'm just completely taken taken aback by this character that's just been pulled through the, through some real real emotion in this film. And uh, yeah, like him him and I, I really like what Carrie Elwes and, and Lee Wanell did in the um, obviously within the film. Obviously Lee Wanell playing Adam is the writer of the film as well. So I just feel that they just nailed it with these two characters. Like that's the thing. If you're gonna have two characters within this film being the sole driving force of two people, granted I know that we do cut about you know cut to other scenes involving other characters like you know your your Amanda that's played by Shawnee Smith and your Detective Tap and such and and all of that, but like 
just to have these, just to have two characters prominently feature for a good what ninety percent of the film in a bathroom, a desolate bathroom with a corpse in between them. They have to have good chemistry and a good back and forth. And like I say, a very good script, something that saw, you know, the first one in particular definitely, definitely has. Granted, as I say, the, the scripts and the sequels, yes, grand, they do definitely suffer. Uh, maybe that's because Wenell wasn't really attached to, to writing much of them. But yeah, it's it's just really great seeing those two together. And, and like I say, I want to see Carrie Elwes back for so many of the films. I know we keep seeing the bathroom and such because it's a very prominent feature within the films, obviously, of the, of the Saw franchise. But it's just a shame that, obviously, there was a lawsuit uh, from Carrie Elwes. He filed a lawsuit against the producers and the production company because he only received a certain salary uh, with the back and revenues. Um, but he was claiming something like that he was promised, like 1% of the profit, which would be considerable since the film earned over 100 million globally. Um, and it just went on from there. It was, it was a lawsuit that was going on for years and years. That's why Elwes just never returned for the sequels until it was... Uh, finally settled out of court, but then he, the sheer like disagreements that they had, he decided not to return until saw 3D, the last one. Um, which fair play to him because I, 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 we all wanted to know. It was a, it was one of those questions all along. What happened to Dr. Gordon? Is he all right? Is he like, did he survive his uh, this this ordeal? Um, it was just a shame that we did have to wait because it's so crazy watching Saw Seven and then seeing the end of Saw 1 start Saw 7. I guess it was a nice touch being the final chapter that we did go back to that first that, that moment from the Saw 1, but still. But yeah. So let's talk about Jigsaw anyways. I'll, t- I'll come back to Adam and such, but let's talk about Jigsaw, because it's easy for me to go straight in for Dr. Gordon, because he's the guy that hacks his foot off. He's the guy that, well, I I, I just think was easily one of the better performers in, in this in this film. So I think he was absolutely fantastic. But, you know, Jigsaw, like I said, is, is a serial killer that, you know, tries to teach life lessons and values through, like I say, gruesome games that he likes to play with his victims. Obviously, as the films go on, the traps get grander and grander. But, like, there was just... There's certain things in this film that, like, when it comes to, you know, Jigsaw's philosophy, should we say, like... I think it's harsh in a way that he actually does involve a daughter and, 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 and a mother because they've not done anything. So, like, the whole... is the whole M.O. is people that... Un, underappreciative of life obviously you know amanda who was a drug drug addict you know she gets put into the reverse bear trap which is obviously an iconic obviously not only was that the poster for saw but it's an iconic trap in itself that we see time and time again within the sequels and such but like like i say his whole mo is people that are just not appreciative of the life they've been given the blessing obviously that he's been given because obviously as we discover jigsaw john kramer he has uh, an inoperable frontal low brain tumor that obviously is just going to get worse and worse and worse. Uh, ultimately, will be his would be his um, uh, would be his you know the the reason that he passes and such is just, well, I know he doesn't pass that way in the film franchise, but obviously it's the disease that's killing that's eating eating away at him inside and such. So it's like it's interesting that like I say, he goes for someone that you know tried to kill themselves by slitting their wrists. He puts them in barbed wire person that's constantly off sick this that and the other you know he gives them some poison says right the antidote's in this in this uh in this safe off you pop try and find it the, the, the combination's all over the walls but you've got a flammable substance on you and that's a candle in front of you be careful stuff like that like everyone everyone that gets i know the traps i'm, I'm mainly focusing on traps in the saw one film i know that some of them some of them are a bit of a stretch in terms of why they're in them anyways when it comes to the sequels but but you know what I mean, like people that are just not appreciating their life. It's why I find it interesting because that's the thing as well is that obviously the other character that's part of this game as well and that we realise towards the end um, 
is the character Zepp, uh, Zepp Hindle, which is played by Michael Emerson. You'll be familiar with him in Lost, if you're a Lost fan, this, that, and the other anyways. You know, he's part of the game as well that we find out. He's just doing, again, what he's told by Jigsaw. We don't really know why he's in the game either. And I, I, I can let all that by because, like I said, there's just so much to really enjoy within this film and this story as it unfolds that... The, the main thing I always focus on is that, fair enough, Zep's been involved, obviously always been dragged in for whatever reason. Why is it that he's been made... Obviously, he's got slow-acting poison crossing through his system, and the only way to, to do it is, like I said, to do Jigsaw's deeds, ask, asking him, would he murder a mother and a child to save himself? I think that's really harsh, if I'm being honest. It's like the only... I was like, I've watched it again a couple of times. I'm like, how harsh do you want to be, Jigsaw? Like, these... I know, like... Yeah, but even still, like, yeah, because it's to it's to make the stakes higher for Carrie Elwes as Doctor Gordon. But at the same time, it's in a it's in a bathroom. Just tell him to saw his foot off and kill Adam, and you know that's kind of a tough challenge in itself. If you've been, if you're not happy because obviously we find out that Doctor Gordon was in fact you know John Kramer's uh, John Kramer's Doctor. That's Jigsaw, obviously. Yeah, fair enough. If you're peed off at him for that, that that's that's one thing. But I just think it's a bit of a harsh one to involve, as I say. Um, yeah, Alison and uh, Alison and, and and Diana, Monica Potter's Alison uh, Alison Gordon. I, I was just, I was sad. I was like, yes, yeah, uh, yeah. I think you might be out of the line. You might be out of line on that one, Jigsaw. But whatever. It's just, it's not. It's just the film, isn't it? I guess. Obviously, on top of all this, you've got Danny Glover as well, Detective David Tapp, who is adamant, absolutely adamant, that Doctor Gordon is in fact the jigsaw killer that he's looking for. And this is all based on the fact that he discovers one of Dr. Gordon's pen lights at the uh, at one of the crime scenes, at the crime scene that involves uh, Jeff, the chap who's stranded in a bunch of barbed wire. Um, I like what the I like Danny Glover's performance in this because he really does go from, like I said, that, that character that is good at his job, like absolutely really good at his job, very calm, collected. But then again, just like Dr. Gordon, he becomes more irrational and such, obviously becoming obsessed with Dr. Gordon to the point where he's not only discharged from the workforce after the, the passing of his um of his of his uh, of his partner and such, obviously after he's killed by Jigsaw. But like he even moves so close to where Dr. Gordon lives, like he can see his apartment straight opposite his straight opposite from from where Detective Tap is living. Like he's got a camera hooked to their house spotting and spying on on dr gordon and what he's up to absolutely adamant this guy is in fact the jigsaw killer so much so that he's adamant that he obviously pays adam faulkner to go off and take pictures of him to keep up the tabs on what he's up to just to find any evidence that points the finger at him to be the jigsaw killer and this is what i love about saw especially i remember seeing this for the first time it's been there being like who the heck is Jigsaw, like, who is it that's doing it? Because they keep saying all the way through, look, you know, the Jigsaw killer, you know, likes to book himself front row seats to his own sick little game. Something that, there's so many lines in this and so many things that happen, even with Adam's character, like at the start, you know, obviously, like when he finds the saws and such within the toilet, nice little uh, nod as well to train spot in this as well, when he puts his hand in the toilet to pull out the, to pull out the saws, obviously goes straight into the actual toilet, the front of the toilet before he checks the back of it kind of thing that's where he finds the saws as i say nice nice nod there to to train spotting but like the stuff that adam's doing within the film obviously all the way through when you're like is he actually more involved than he's letting on you know he's got a way like when he pulls the the saws out of the bag he looks in and sees something else and then you know puts the saws down gives one to god and then as god is not looking throws the you know the bag the, the plastic bag they've come in into the bathtub obviously like kind of like oh i'm not gonna 
don't want him to see that. And even when, again, when Dr. Gordon's like, oh, do you want to see my family? He throws him his wallet to look at the pictures and Adam finds that picture of Alison and Diana, that's obviously Dr. Gordon's wife and child, tied up with a note from Jigsaw just saying regards, this, that and the other and saying, you know, sometimes you can see more with your eyes shut in in, in, in reference to the X marks the spot comment within the tape. Um, again, like it doesn't doesn't tell him straight away. Like obviously he's like, oh, I'll give it you back. I'll give you your wallet back, but your picture's not here. But then it's like, keeps this picture to just to look at to one side again, trying to obviously work out this game that they're in. It's like everyone is a bit shifty. Because again, like I said, that the, the, there's the argument again that you could think that Dr. Gordon is part of it. You know, he's the one that's off doing whatever business, having an affair, is allegedly having an affair, but at the same time, you know, his pen light's been left there. Why was that left there? But we find out that, you know, it was planted by Jigsaw. Nice touch as well with this, because obviously when we do find out that Jigsaw was the patient that we see in the hospital beds, there's a couple of foreshadowing moments that are in there that obviously on more the more viewings you, you watch of Saw, the more that you uh, the more you pick up in these couple of moments. For example, one of the the blatant one is the fact that right in front of the the unconscious John Kramer uh, in the hospital bed, there's some notepads and some drawings and such on his desk. It's a blink and you'll miss it moment, but obviously it does. You can see the fact that he has drawn a doodle or a sketch at least of the reverse bear trap around someone's head, indicating obviously and, and pretty much yeah. There he is, that's the Jigsaw Killer. The other thing as well that's in this scene is the fact that John Kramer has got what he looks like he's got a pen in his hand as he's asleep, but it's actually Dr. Gordon's pen light that Jigsaw is, uh, that John Kramer is holding in his hand. That, of course, which John Kramer plants at the crime scene, obviously pointing the finger and, and you know, sending the police down the, the trail of thinking that Dr. Gordon is in fact uh, the Jigsaw Killer. You've got the two moments there, these two moments of foreshadowing that we could have picked up on any even like i said there's all these moments within there as well like i said when we do get to see these flashbacks and detective tab getting really invested in this case and trying to work it out getting so close to catching him by having jigsaw on his knees in front of him and jigsaw saying there and then yep i'm sick i'm sick from the disease that's eating away inside of me all these moments all these like flashbacks and stuff that are, that are there for like as as the jigsaw pieces go fall into place towards the end of the film they're all there for us to enjoy on on second and repeat viewings and such it's really really excellent work again from lee wannell and uh, and james one with the script because I, I just can't praise these guys enough and what I, again just just going back to them creating this film in the first instance they to, to kind of showcase what this film was that they were trying to get to get funding for and such they made a short film obviously called saw as well which revolved around lee one l playing just a completely different character but essentially amanda's character in the reverse bear trap uh, which proved really successful enough to, for them to attract attention from the entertainment world and immediately they got the budget that they wanted to the well say the, the funding that they wanted to um from you know like the like the likes of lionsgate then they formed uh, the 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 horror genre arm twisted pictures and and off they went and you can watch this short film as well on the internet if you just type in saw short film on youtube or whatever you'll see it say you'll you'll be familiar with it after watching shawnee smith's trap in the film but to see kind of how it started this this idea, this concept of Saw and 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 the short film they 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 went obviously after making that they made sorry in the back of film film school and such to see where it gets to and what it's become now is it's just like mind blowing what these guys did and it's like I said credit to them because I know that Lee Wanell and 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 James Wan in terms of budget they were very very influenced by the Blair Witch Project because that again obviously had a very low budget but made so so much money and such and I guess that for them making a hundred million film or whatever blockbuster budget whatever that to them wasn't wasn't 
at all in their in their heads of like oh, we want to make a film that's going to gross this this and this. They just want to make this film, and they got to make this film, and this film has just blew up. Obviously, now Jigsaw is one of the most iconic um, horror villains. He's up there, like with Freddy Krueger, your Michael Myers, this that, and the other Pennywise, whatever. He is up there. Uh, it's just a case, like I say, that it's just staggering to think that this this really that it's staggering to think obviously that this is such a small budget film, but also the fact that Jigsaw is in this film for like. 30 seconds, if that, I say, we in terms of an actual, okay, that's the guy, yeah, we're talking 30 seconds, obviously, I know we get to see glimpses of him and hear his voice, obviously, on the tapes and such, but he's literally not in it, and, and Lee 1L came up with the idea of giving John Kramer a brain tumour while spending time in the neurology ward for anxiety and headaches, because Lee 1L was absolutely obsessed he had he had these he had these really painful headaches and he was really really expecting bad news or, or you know in terms of like he, he basically thought he had a tumor and he was so worried about it, it turns out obviously it wasn't that but he was he, whilst he was waiting for this this news and to find out he was like kind of reflecting on his own mortality and then he, exp- he used this whole experience to create a character who only had a few years left to live obviously being jigsaw and how that would you know, change a person or at least what they would do then uh, in terms of looking at other people's lives and such, which I think is a really, it's such a weird way, of, like I say, of, of coming up with that kind of idea. Again, it's it's purpose behind why John Kramer is the reason why he is. Obviously, I know that the Saw sequels go straight into going into all his backstory, this, that, and the other. Obviously, the loss of a child, which, again, I will cover if I ever, when I do ever get around to talking about the sequels and such, but if we're just going on the basis that this character, you know, he's not got long left to live, he's peed off basically with the world and with so many people that go out about live life as they wish you know treat people horribly this that and the other don't appreciate the life that they've been given their existence why is it then that he's got to die from something when he's lived his a pretty decent normal life it's amazing how someone can just snap like that and i think that that's what you know say gives him that purpose or that drive and gives the audience more of an understanding as to why he's testing people in these kind of gory ways obviously Maybe there's other ways to express yourself. I'm not saying to do that. Say if you're not, if you peed off at someone, I'm not saying to, to lock them up in a bathroom and this, that, and the other. But again, it's that motive behind this this serial killer, this 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 man that's very very broken from this news that he's been given by Doctor Gordon, obviously. And there he is. He's like, well, okay, then if you're happy and you're fine and dandy to be giving of people bad news all the time then you're going to be the cause of death in this one. You've got to kill Adam and you've got to hack your foot off. Otherwise, I'm going to kill your family. Like I said earlier, though, I do think it's a bit harsh that he did involve um, that he did involve his wife and daughter in this. It was, uh, yeah, a bit of a stretch for Jigsaw. But Tobin Bell, obviously, the icon that is now Jigsaw, obviously, he, he was such an absolute trooper within this film. He laid down in that bathroom for all of the scenes within the bathroom they did not use a dummy whatsoever and i love that i think it's such a it's such a commitment to the cause you know what i mean like he was so adamant because i think that when they 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 hired him for his voice because they loved the voice they they love tobin bell's voice what more to say but they hired him for the voice and obviously they were just going to get a dummy for it i think that tobin bell actually was surprised that they were going to use a dummy he got he came i think he might have come to set or something he was like no i'm i'll, I'll do it kind of I, I will get down and get down and dirty in this bathroom and he lay there for the whole sh- for the whole of the shoots within the bathroom i don't know if out of the 18 days how many days of that was within that bathroom but um but yeah like i say he did uh he did all of that the in- the other thing as well in terms of behind the scenes is that i know that when they came to hacking the foot off obviously no foot was hacked off but they they i remember seeing this as a kid you know you, you know like when you watch 
someone like going for it, you're like, oh my god, he's actually gonna do it. And you're like, oh my god, like he's actually sawing his foot off. Like they uh, I think the blades of the saw was flipped, so it was um so basically the, the sharp bit was was put up rather than facing down. So it was like the blunt line, the blunt side of the of the saw was what it was rubbing against his foot. And I think they put some uh, tubes uh, on the other side that you couldn't see because of the camera from where the camera was facing. And uh, yeah, they just pumped uh, pumped out fake blood while he just you know did the motion of uh, of hacking away. And this is the thing as well is that when it was released in cinema, it wasn't the actual uncut version because there's some extra sequences and some extra focus points within the film in terms of like the actual uh, deaths or, or or the foot being removed and such. There's like an extra sequ- an extra shot of Lawrence hacking at his foot. I think there's also a close up shot of the the dead corpse in the room's actual heads. Stuff like that that they obviously may not have been able to include within the actual theatrical run because they, you know you've got to be you've got to hit certain criteria to get the you know eighteen rating and and so forth. But like James one just as I've stated, like I love what he does with this film in terms of, like I say the, the cinematography and the camera work. Like some of his transitions in 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 sequences and scenes for well, well from one scene to another. Sorry. And just really effective and stuff that he's carried on doing ever since. Like I say, that that's very grungy and very like uh like I, I've said this before when I did his uh, review of Malignant, which is like one of the only few James Wan films that I really well, it's probably the only one um that he's directed that I've not been too fussed about. Maybe maybe I'd prefer to watch that over like The Fast and Furious or something like that. But yeah, like it wasn't didn't blow me away as much as what like Saw did or anything like that. But like he's always really effective with his camera work. Like I say, these over-the-head shots or these spirally shots that he loves to do, like the, the, the sequence when we first see, you know, the deceased body in the middle of the room between these two gentlemen. Like we see, like I said, the, the camera cuts, like flow, like sweeps from Adam, sorry, hovers over Kramer's uh, deceit, well, air quote, deceased body, and then manically spirals up to the to the ceiling, obviously, as we focus down on this uh, on this corpse in the middle of the room. I love all of that. Some of the other things that I really dig as well is like when we transition from Amanda talking, I think it's Amanda. Someone's talking at a desk anyways. I'm pretty sure it's Amanda when she's been obviously interviewed and, and spoken to by Detective Tap about obviously the, um, uh, the, the the trap that she survived and such. The camera like pans down from the table, uh, cuts to well, obviously pan, as it's panning down, cutting to black, it then cuts and we start, uh, the camera still panning down from the ceiling of the bathroom that the the two our two protagonists are in and then follow and then keeps flowing all the way down to uh to adam uh, it's just stuff like that or, or for example like when detective taps looking at dr gordon through the glass window or whatever at the police station next thing you know like this glaze of glass comes over and it's a car window that obviously it's cut in now to a, a the transition is the car that dr gordon and detective tapper in you know, cuts us to that scene, obviously, just by slowly going over Detective Tap's face. It's just stuff like that that I think that James Wan is an absolute genius for. Obviously, the the, the main thing as well is, obviously, that said the twist and such that's in this film is just absolutely bonkers beyond, like, in for the time, obviously, that is as well, because this is it. Like, this film, I believe Saw is, was the most profitable film, or at least franchise, whichever. Well, no, it will be film since, like, Scream in, like, 1993, 4, whatever it was. So, like, this is something, like I said, that we'd not really seen before as audience members. Like, I do really wish that I was able to watch this at the cinema and just be with the reactions of people as this, as the ending did unfold, because it was something that I, um, I, I was never, I would never have expected. It blew my little mind off when it came to it, but I'll come to that in just a second. Because, um, yeah, I want, I want to just kind of dip, dip dive back to Adam, because one of the things that Saw does probably better than 
all of these sequels whatsoever is that it, it, it does have a little bit of fun as well. Like there, there's not, it's not like, like you know, you look at how bleak some of them get. Like Saw Four for me is like uh, really pushing it in in the sense of like it is really like some of the most of the traps in that one I think are, are pretty gnarly. Like that for me was when you could make the argument of like the whole torture porn aspect, this, that, and the other, which I still don't really, I don't really understand that that claim. I, I think that like I say, if you, I, I, there's films like um, take your hostels for example. Like I don't watch that and I think oh this is really you know lovely to look at kind of thing. I, I don't know like I just. I, 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 the thing that caught me with Saw more than anything was the story, and it's always a story that drives that drives me. It's not so much the traps itself. I think that Saw Four, again, I don't really want to talk too many about the sequels, but I feel like Saw Four focused too much on the traps, which is when it was nice that Saw Five went back to basics and gave us a gave us more of a story based film. Um, but like this film, the same with Saw, with the first Saw anyway, especially like with Adam's characters. Like I say, they they don't mind poking fun, they don't mind having a bit of a laugh. There's some lines that Adam comes out with that are really really great. Like uh, this is the most fun I've had. <laughs> this is the most fun I've had without lubricant. Or like when Doctor Gordon's like, you know, he gets the phone call from his wife saying that Adam he's lying to you, you know, don't believe him, he knows more than what he's letting on, this, that, and the other, that he knows you, and he's known you for a while, um, and he's asking all these questions, like, you know, tell me, tell me who you are, this, and he's like, oh, what else have you not told me, and he's like, oh, well, I, I've not told you that my, like, vegan ex-girlfriend, punk rocker ex-girlfriend broke up with me because she thought I was too angry, and stuff like that, or, like, that one of my toenails is slightly just, like, just stuff like that, like, it's, there's, there's, like, a little bit of light relief within this very bleak storyline, I say, like I said, the, the, the whole premise of this film is two people trapped in a bathroom, there has to be something in there, there's got to be a good dynamic between the two of them for us to be really invested and care about these characters, and we do care about these characters, because once Lawrence Gordon saws his foot off, you know, and then goes to shoot Adam, you really like gutted about it because you're thinking these characters are bonded all the way through this film they're, they're in a situation that neither of them you know expected to be in or obviously not, definitely don't want to be in but in terms of their their life choices and such like dr gordon even says in the film how have i ended up here like i everything i had everything you know everything was set everything i had a good i've got a good life like i don't understand what i've done to uh yeah to 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 to, to deserve this or whatever and like i said it's just their choices have have led them here, but they 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 still want out. I say they I they 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 want each other to escape essentially. Like even when I could say that um, Adam is like scree like when when Doctor Gordon is electrocuted, sorry, and Adam's like trying to wake him up, saying I need you. This like I need you, you know, to to, to live essentially. And it's just really like I say that that moment when Zep comes into the room and you know says like oh it's the rules. It's like the other Adam breaks his face breaks his face and we don't again this is this is it when it comes back to the horror aspect of it like you think about what we see in this film and i will come back to what i was saying about these two having a good bond together in a second bear with me i'm, I'm very good at waffling away aren't i on this podcast but you know like you, you think about um the gore and such the aspect of it like what we see in this film is limited it is very limited it's like i'm always trying to get my wife to watch it because i'm like you don't see anything it's fine sit on down i think she might have seen it before but she has no interest in rewatching it it's like it's you don't they're they're, they're clever what they do like i said the the idea and the thought that's there is sick don't get me wrong like you know you you know someone's throwing their foot off you don't necessarily have to see bone coming off or anything you know what i mean like or even all the way through like like i said we we literally just see the start of the saw going over the top of his skin and then it's all about the reactions of of said you know lawrence gordon of adam you know adam screaming in a corner almost being sick and you've got dr gordon who's face in absolute 
pain and anguish as he's biting down on this rag of a shirt that he's got as the blood is hitting like his shoulder on the back of obviously maybe hitting an artery or whatever kind of whatever you know what i mean like he's there's it's all to do with like reactions and such like i said we don't see you know the body in the, in the middle of the floor all we have is obviously we get that close-up of the the actual blown off heads which is again limited viewing and restricted viewing as it is obviously albeit it's not real anyways but it's like i say when it comes to any of the other traps itself when it comes to amanda's trap you know she's got the reverse bear trap on she's got to obviously cut into a, 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 a what she thinks is her dead cellmate's stomach who's obviously just been tranquilized and is actually alive and she's got to like cut into his stomach and get the key we ju we don't even see her like we see the silhouette of her which again is more impactful and more effective than it would be to just show us going in on the stomach yeah of course we get to see her like you know pull up you know we get to see her close-ups of her hand as she's like rummaging through intestines or whatever but again it's it's all like i say i have a trick of lighting or stuff like that where it's just it's how the ones framed it so that we you know it's, it's the thought more than what we're seeing that's that's more scary to to, to quote you know what i mean it's, it's not that we see everything thrown at us it's like the 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 fast cutting as well obviously like of when we get to see um is it jeff was his name that's in the uh that's in the barbed wire uh, yeah it is jeff that's in the uh barbed wire trap we see him wake up we then just it's just the way that it's edited and the way that it's put through is obviously it's just really fast fast paced sequence and cuts and you know of, of uh, almost a blur of him going through this barbed wire it's all that, you know what I mean? I think that that's why it is so powerful because it's more of a, like I say, a psychological thriller than it is in your face, full on gore. And I think that's where Saw 1 succeeds where the sequels probably don't as much because it does get a little bit like, right, how much blood can we get on uh, on screen pretty much? I know that like, you know, Spiral maybe on, on, on that sense is again, the closest back to the original, you know, it's a detective story just with a serial killer, obviously a new jigsaw copycat. Um, but for, for Saw to, to, to do all of this and, and to be as successful as it's, it's down to this fantastic work that obviously James Wan and Lee one L did with this, with, with everything about it. Like I said, the, the actual cinematography, the filming, the story, the script, the performances as well, that's in there because, you know, Lee one L, to cast yourself in your film as well, that, that's that's pretty bold. It'd be so like daunting in a way, but I think that because they have such a they had such belief in their work, it's easy to see how it was easy for them to kind of just run with it and get this film done within the eighteen day schedule that they had. So, but let's jump to uh, let's jump to the ending because, as I've stated, like I would be absolutely gobsmacked if someone said to me on first watching that they knew that the person, the deceased corpse in the middle of the room, was going to end up being Jigsaw because like. As I've said, there was huge foreshadowing all the way through, you know, with with them saying stuff, you know, along the lines of like Jigsaw likes to book himself front row seats to his own sick little games and stuff like that. To have that moment, again, credit I think as well goes to the magnificent score and the iconic Saw theme, which was done by uh, Charlie Clauser. Um, Charlie Clauser actually had three weeks to compose a score for this film. So for him to nail this music in the way that he did, again, it's like, I say, very like, almost it's not synthy but it's electronic and industrial and stuff like that that makes it so well and and, and all the way through it's not like the score is uh it's, it's it's almost like it's noticeable but in like an unnoticeable way if that makes sense like uh it's almost sounds like not like a choir but there's moments where it sounds like um how do i describe this like 
almost like a ghost going ooh at times in the background when especially like when they're listening to like tapes and such it's just really really like high high shriek almost in the backgrounds of such i just think that charlie klaus uh, his score especially like i said the, the iconic saw thing you know you're doing it all onwards you, you know the score like how we managed to put that together and fit this so well because uh, the actual track itself is called hello zep which is obviously when we when when another curveball is thrown in because this is it like you you've been sent through to hell and back watching this film trying to work out who it is like i remember on my first viewing of saw i do remember this vividly because i remember chatting to my mum about it after i watched it because uh, again like i said i watched it on pirate copy but i remember watching this film and I, I never for once thought it was Dr. Gordon, didn't think it was Adam. I was straight away thinking it was Detective Tap. Like, looking back now, I mean, I don't really know how I jumped to that conclusion, obviously. Well, I think it's more so that he was paying Adam to, you know, take the picture of Dr. Gordon, this, that, and the other. I mean, you could say that on some level he was just really good at, like, kind of masking it, and he was maybe trying to plant evidence on Dr. Gordon so that it would shake off any, any um, yeah, any finger pointing at him. But I, I genuinely did think, obviously, that Detective Tap was the uh, was was the, was the person behind it all. So to see him die in the film, obviously towards the end, uh, again, say Danny Glover was excellent in this film. Again, doesn't have an awful lot of screen time, but the stuff that he does is he, he does steal a lot of his scenes and such, uh, rightly so. But like, I still had no idea because obviously then you're thinking, okay, maybe it's this Zep guy. But it's only until that moment when Adam finds that other tape recorder and starts playing it, and it's like, you know, I, I want you to make a choice. You've <laughs> the slight in poison. You've got to do this and that. Will you murder this these, this family? But you've got to listen to this set of rules and such. And you're like, where is this going to go? And again, credit credit to James Wan and the framing of this shot because you know the cameras. It's circling Adam as obviously he finds the tape on the, the on Zep's body, starts playing it, and the camera's rotating round. It's following him to the other side of the room. He's just all the time sat there with his mouth open, just listening to this tape as it unfolds. And then by the time that the, that he stops the tape, we're then facing obviously the the side of the room that obviously from behind Adam where the bathtub is out towards where the exit is, and then just from the bottom of your frame and bottom of your screen just this body just starts to climb up and you're like hang on a minute and it's and again not only credit to the to the framing and the filming of this shot but lee Wonell's reaction as well iconic in its own right let's be honest like i i don't i think that that was everyone's face in the cinema or on your viewing of this like i like the fact that it's not a case of lee Wonell even turns his entire face to look at jigsaw as he's stepping up from the floor it's like this side eye that J that Lee Wanell's doing, sorry, where he's like just mouth open, side eyeing, absolutely flabbergasted that this person that's been laying on the floor in, in between him and Dr. Gordon all the way through the film is in fact the serial killer, is the jigsaw killer that they've been discussing that's put them there in the first place. Like, honestly, as Jigsaw gets up and the music is kicking in, it's all building, building and building, and then, like, we get those moments of, like, again, cutting back to flashbacks where you're seeing Dr. Gordon talking about this patient and Zep saying, oh, his name's John, is a very interesting person, and he's cutting to him saying to Detective Tap, like, sick from the disease eating away at me inside, like, and then cutting back to, obviously, the, uh, to the character, I forgot her name, uh, Kerry, I think it is, it's played by the actress that's in Friends, that's Dina Mayer, when she says, obviously, oh, looks like our friend Jigsaw likes to book himself front row seats for some sick little games or whatever all of that coming through and just adam's face of absolute like what is happening obviously reaching for that gun and there's the electrocution start obviously shock that that that, that jigsaw's got on him and such and like that moment of of because like the saw franchise takes in terms of color palette 
it goes on to become very green. Uh, you'll notice that it's a very green films. Um, like I said, the, the more they go on, the greener they get. We don't really get that in Saw 1 because Saw 1's more blue, like I say. And especially like on the back of when when Jigsaw says to him, the key to that chain is in the bathtub. You're like, oh my goodness. Like we've had the start of the film. Adam's been laying in this bath, which I'm surprised didn't drown, if I'm being honest. But there's obviously the floating light. Again, this blue light with the key attached that went down the drain that was focused on at the start of the film that you don't really think too much about as this character gets out of the bath. Um, you're like, I can't... It's, it's, yep, yeah, that's in there. Brilliant. Okay, what another twist and turn. And then, obviously, as you switch the lights off, there there comes the green, like this green, uh, like I say, the, the main theme colour for Saw. It's really, really... It's quite dark in this moment because so the lights are off. And just the harrowing screams that Adam lets out as, as Jigsaw, you know, we hear him saying, most people are so ungrateful to be alive, but not you, not anymore just as he utters those famous words that pop up in every Saw film, game over, and slams that door shut. And like I say, Adam's screams continue for a good few, like 10, 20 seconds as the credits, uh, the end credits are rolling. It's just harrowing. Like I remember sat there at the end of this film and I genuinely, you know, like when you're so distressed that you might let out like a little tear. I'm not afraid to say this. I'm not even, not afraid. I'm not ashamed to say this, I should say, that genuinely remember sat there with like really watery eyes, like, and it just like a tear coming down my, my cheek, just being like, I cannot believe what I've just witnessed. Like this is, that that's just completely shocked me to my core. I remember actually at the time as well, it's so weird how your memory works like this, but I remember my sister was out playing with her friends and I went to my mum, I was like, you need to get her in straight away. Like, I'm not having this. Like, what a, uh, what a cracking, uh, cracking film as a story and, and such that I, uh, I just couldn't help but be just so invested in it in a way. Like I said, not, not the fact, like, not for the gore aspect or anything like that, but I just genuinely think that this film, Saw 1 anyways, is just a very well-crafted uh, horror film. Something, like I said, I've said, number of times this podcast that until that point we'd not really seen anything like it before um there's a lot of these like i say squirm you know squirmy inducing moments within the film uh the villain obviously that we're kind of all the way through trying to work out who it is but the performances on top of what is a very good script make this and, and i think that's why it's got such a cult following still to this day but like i i, I hear all the uh I hear you know people argue about what the favorite or what the best Saw film is. This I know a lot of people do say they prefer Saw two to Saw one. I think that's because there's so much more going. And again, like Saw one, we are focusing solely on one set, which is obviously the house in Saw two. Whereas in Saw one, we're just in this like dungy little uh, dingy bathroom. Sorry, dungy, dingy bathroom. Um, I, I just think it's a, a it was a an ingenious idea um, by one L and and one that it's um, it's something like I said that will will continue to. Uh, to just just be just be watched and adored by horror fans for for years to come, and and like I said, the franchise is still not done. Like we're going to get another one next year. We're expecting Saw Ten. It's miraculous, really, to think that this very low budget film, as I say, one point two million dollar film, you know, grossed so much that it did that you could see why the sequels came out, and it's and, and here we are now. You know, over ten years later, we're still talking about. So well, I'm I'm still talking about some people like this guy. This guy needs to grow up and watch some different films, man. But yeah, like I uh, I just love it. You know, one L and one. You know, they challenge themselves to create a film that occurred in one room. This was that product. This was the the feature debut for James Wan. This was their idea. They wanted that small scale film horror film. And look what look what happened. Look what happened to them. And credit to them because their film their filmography 
is just astounding. Both of them have done so, so well. And like I say, every time they're attached to something, I'm so excited to see what they're going to do next. Really always look forward to what they do. And they just kind of, like I said, their films branch off to do something else. Like you look at what they've done with Saw, that's got a ton of sequels. Insidious, that's got a ton of sequels. You know, James Wan did The Conjuring. My God, that's got its own universe now and so many spin-offs. They're geniuses. They know what they're doing. Like it's... Um, it's amazing, as I say, it really is, and credit to them because uh, again, I could uh, I could waffle on about Saw an awful lot, and I probably will do over Halloween. So stick around for it on this podcast. But again, if you're an avid Saw fan, I would love to know your thoughts. What's your favourite trap out of all of the Saw films? Maybe what's your favourite moment, in particular Saw One? What is the moment that uh, you said that most people may may come back to the twist? But is there other defining moments in there that you're like, this is such a great film? Like I love that moment. Whether it's just a a line between two characters, as I said, Adam and uh, Adam and Doctor Gordon. Like I say, these those two together make the film. You know, the, the the dynamic and the relationship that those two characters have to keep us engaged and captivated throughout this film is what is so engrossing. And the fact that, like I said, that Doctor Gordon throughout very calm, very collected, trying to work it out, pre-think things, you know, to fight. Like I think he says to to combat like a disease, you've got to work out how you know perfect it actually is. Or something like that. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, because he's a doctor, that's how they work. That's how he's trying to bring his, you know, neurological side of of thinking to this trap that he's um that he's in. So it's just a really well good script. Like it's just it's just a ten out. This film for me, like I'm giving it a ten. I don't give many ten films on this, but because of like I said, the 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 the, the passion I have for it, the love that I have for this film, it's one of my all time favorites. It is up there. It's a ten for me. Um, whether you think it's a ten, that might be different. If uh, if not, that's fine as well. But as I say, I know the sequels do go on. But I will definitely try to go over more of the sequels on this podcast to say I've Joe Blogs about films. So make sure if you've enjoyed this episode that you hit notification, hit follow as well on all of the socials and all of the streaming sites that this podcast is on. Because, yeah, Halloween is here. We're in October. So I'll be going over as many, uh, yeah, as much as I possibly can to uh, keep it spooky. Keep it spooky on the channel. I'm eyeing up the Paranormal Activity franchise don't want to maybe say that and then not do it but i am thinking about how to kind of do that whether I do the first one or the actual whole franchise so that could be something but definitely definitely want to talk about more souls because i have a lot to say clearly because i think this podcast is nearly an hour or is an hour or just under either way game over guys thank you ever so much again for listening to the podcast i really appreciate it as i say and do do get in touch if you're a saw fan um and if which is your favorite saw yeah let me know Keep up to date with the socials, Joe Blogs About Films, all that jazz. I've already said all this already, but thank you ever so much, as always, for clicking on and playing the podcast. Until the next episode, stay spooky, take care.